All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 10 of the DFO Rundown Podcast. I'm Jason Greger here in Canada, Frank Saravalli in the U.S. And really kind of, I guess, a a day after the anniversary, although I, I guess officially the 12th of March is the official end of the NHL because they did play on the 11th last year. And who knew at the time uh, what a year it would be? Uh, Still no fans back in the stands. They did go through the playoff bubble. They're into the regular season. And there's only a few players on the COVID list. Uh, You know, overall, Frank, I want to tip my hat to to all the people listening and watching because it's been a really challenging year, no question. But uh, I think the NHL should be pretty happy with what they've done in the last calendar year when you consider all of the pandemic and the challenges and the bubble. And then now in a, in a, I guess, kind of like an active bubble, whatever you want to call it. They've done a really good job. Yeah. You know what? Um, there was no playbook for this. And so there's not really a lot to second guess. I mean, I got to tell you, um, you know, just from a fan perspective, you know, I was trying to think about this the other day. It was a chicken and the egg uh, question and argument. Do fans drive the emotion and energy of the game or does the play drive the emotion and energy of the fans. And so I was having a hard time wrestling with that notion the other day, but I have a confession to make. Um, Just 
working in hockey and covering hockey, Jason, this year has been the toughest one for me by far with so many other things going on at times it's felt like hockey doesn't matter. And, and I know that our job is to talk hockey and everyone's into trade speculation moves, uh, insider nuggets, the games, everything that's going on, the playoffs. It just, it hasn't felt the same because fans aren't there watching it and, and giving that emotion. And I think that's been the toughest part. I'm sure players feel exactly the same way, but, um, this has been the hardest year I've had working in the game or around the game uh, just with all that going on. Well, I can tell you watching at the rink in, in the bubble, like it was weird in the playoffs when, you know, you've got heightened emotion in, on the ice and it's crickets and, and they can put in, you know, they, they pump in some sound and having talked to a few players here that have, that have played in buildings now in the last few weeks that have allowed fans in. And even though it's only 2000 in some arenas, they say it's such a world of difference. It's been a huge boost for those teams. And, I, you know, I think that that's a, a slight home ice advantage that's slowly coming back in. But without the fans, there's been a lot of games. I mean, sitting on Saturday night hockey, you know, and it's going to be a hockey night in Canada. It's usually a big game. And, you know, Edmonton-Calgary rematch at Nurse and Lucic dropping the gloves and Neil and Kachuk. Usually that place would be going bananas. And it's just it's not the same. And I give the players a lot of credit because I think there, there are some players that are struggling with it. No question, you know, not just off the ice, but even in the, in the course of a game and, you know, for, for the fans, there, there's been many a nights that I've been watching the game and you're just like, Oh, like you just, you, you want some fan to do something funny, you know, whether they're yelling out something during the anthem, it just, you know, usually when you got 17 or 18,000 personalities in the building, it's just better. And I'm telling you, I can't wait to have fans back in the building. It's, it's infinitely better to even do, even do your job. You're just, you're watching the games and, and at times it's, it's definitely more work. I'm not complaining. I, you know, I still got a job. It's a great job, but it is definitely more work when there's no crowd in the stand and then there's no fans because a lot of times, you know, there's something you might not pick up everything. And then, you know, there's a ruckus on the ice behind the play and the crowd, just their energy. And all of a sudden, you know, what's going on. So it, it is definitely being challenging for sure for, I think everybody involved. And I'm glad to see that slowly we're seeing more fans trickle back into rinks. I, I can't believe how much has changed our life. Like I remember when all this happened, I was at the GM meetings in Boca Raton, Florida with the other insiders, uh, Darren Dreger, Pierre Lebron, Bob McKenzie, Ryan Rashog was there. And like, I remember the home office kept calling and they were like, Hey, can you guys like do some hits, talk about this coronavirus outbreak? Like, how's it going to impact the NHL? And like, I, I can remember like talking to my boss, uh, the, our managing editor, Steve Dryden. And I'd be like, like, can you stop bothering me with this nonsense? Like, I, I can't believe that you're asking me to talk about coronavirus. Like, I don't even know what this is. And I could tell you that there's no chance that it's going to affect the NHL. And, you know, we were all kind of like, are we really talking about coronavirus at the GM meetings? Like we felt like we were stealing money. Like we're like, here we are, you know, supposed to be getting information and insight and we're, we're having meetings and talking about the coronavirus. Like what, like really? And sure enough, that's the last flight I've taken March 8th, 2020. And I like, I'm a guy that travels a hundred and some thousand miles every year. Like I haven't gotten on a plane one time, personal business, nothing. It, this has been so bizarre. Um, I, I can't even put it together. And, and to think that we're a year into this, like it feels like 
five years ago, I haven't seen any of those guys since. I haven't seen one person that I work with. I live on a basic island in the US. Every single person that I work with is in Canada. It's, yeah. it's been totally bizarre. Yeah. And it's, you know, yeah, I saw, you know, you, here in, in, in Canada and in Alberta, they have plans to have vaccinations by June. I, I saw Biden came out and saying that they're hoping to states to have it by May. So, you know, that's that's a really good sign because that if that happens, you know, then it's, it's a big step back to normalcy for sure. You know, it probably won't be maybe until next year's regular season to have full capacity. But you know, I'd like to think that there will be, you know, there's already some crowds and, you know, maybe that gets a little bit bigger. We'll wait and see if there's any in Canada between now and then. I know all those teams are lobbying. I can tell you the players in, in the North division are lobbying for it, having talked to their friends in the other divisions and just how much of an emotional boost it's been to those teams to have fans back in the building. So though, any of those fans listening and watching, kudos to you for going because uh, you, you are giving the players more than you probably ever realized before. And I think it's good. I think, you know, at times I felt like the NHL maybe overlooked the importance of fans. And, and even some of the players at times were just like, oh yeah, the fans, oh geez, they bug me on Twitter or, or ask for autographs. I think they're realizing now just, you know, not only financially how important the fans are, let's make that abundantly clear, but emotionally how important fans are to the game. Every sport, I think, has realized that, really. Yeah. So, well, let's get to what the fans like to talk about. Lots of rumblings. Uh, we do it on our on the Friday pod here on the Rundown, where we, we switch focus here for the next few weeks. And, of course, we're a week closer than last week, Frank. So I want to ask you, are, are, are you still – are you still holding out hope that the Dallas stars can make a run? Because uh, here they are, they're 12 points out still. It's a week later. Yeah. The math starts to get complicated and fuzzy in a hurry. Um, you know, I think we were starting to look at who some of the trade bait candidates could be. In fact, actually Jamie Alexiak, a pending UFA made it onto our trade bait board for that reason. If the Dallas stars are suddenly in a position where they believe that the math doesn't make sense anymore to get in. And, and even if they were to get in, do you have a realistic expectation that you're going to make a deep run? If not, should you sell off some of those pieces? And so I think there's a few guys there in that group that would make some sense for teams to, to hone in on. Like if you wanted to pluck a player off of that roster, even if they're signed for a bit, they're, they're going to be a team that needs to create some salary cap flexibility they could get a, a pretty decent return for a couple of the grinder. I don't, and I, maybe grinder isn't the right word, but some of their middle six forwards that, you know, proved last year in their run to the final to be really impactful players. That might be one way that they could make a little bit of change there in Dallas. Well, I look at Jamie Alexiak. He's six foot seven. He's really coming to his own. You, you look at the importance of defensemen, big defensemen in the playoff. I think Jamie Alexiak would, would be very sought after for a lot of teams that, uh, that need a left defenseman. Obviously got some playoff experience last year, but he's just so big and, you know, he's got some decent hands to him. I just, the game in the playoffs is just so much different than the regular season and size does matter, especially on your back end. I think Alexiak easily of all the stars, he's the one that there'd be a lot of teams highly interested in him because he can play in your second pair. And if he's in your third pair, then you've got an outstanding third pair. Right. And so then the question is, do the Dallas stars think that this is a blip in the radar uh, and they can, you know, p take that step back towards the playoffs next year. And can you sign Jamie Alexiak to a reasonable deal? Is there any way that you might want to hang on to him? So that's the conversation that I think is going on inside that Dallas front office this very week. 
Um, as another week goes by, uh, Ryan Getzlaff, uh, rumblings like he's an interesting name, Frank. The problem is his cap hit, right? Even if Anaheim eats half of it, he's you're, you're still taking in excess of over four million dollars for a guy. Now he's won a cup. Getzlaff is big, he's mean, he's skilled. He, he could be easily a third line center on any team, uh, I would say, right now. And some teams, maybe as, as a second line guy, and possibly even play the wing. I just his cap hits is, is maybe the biggest challenge for them. But uh, I'm hearing that uh, as every day passes, he's a little bit more open to the thought of, uh, of leaving as a rental and then possibly maybe even moving on as a free agent in the offseason. Well, that's the key is that he's open to it because you saw Bob Murray actually in the Los Angeles Times this week. He confirmed what I had essentially reported a couple weeks ago on Insider Trading was that Ryan Getzlaff needs to come to the Ducks and tell them that he wants to go somewhere. And until then, the Ducks aren't going to ask him because of what he's meant to that franchise. They actually love the way that he's played this season. They like what he's done to help nurture along some of the young players that they have. So they've been impressed with how this year has played out in what's been a really disappointing season. But, you know, I, I just love the kind of crack that Bob Murray makes when he says it like, you know, the, the Toronto based rumors, I think was the exact quote that he used. Like, don't buy into that. Well, like Bob, like actually what I said was exactly what you reiterated. So, um, you know, I love that, uh, the old Toronto based rumors, the faceless, nameless Toronto based rumors. So, um, Look, uh, I, I think there'd be a lot of teams lined up to get Ryan Getzlaff if they could find a way to make the money work. And, and honestly, what that might involve moving back to make the money work is eat half, you know, from the Ducks perspective, but also take on a contract back in return, maybe one that's shorter term, uh, maybe not, that could increase the return for your team because, that significantly decrease, you know, decreases or diminishes what you could get. A, he's a rental. B, he's a little bit long in the tooth. And C, he's a guy that um, has that enormous cap hit. So those are three, you know, sort of question marks, if you will, uh, around Getzlaff. And, you know, it makes a team not want to give up a lot. But if you could, you know, find a way to move a contract back in return and the Ducks are willing to do that, then that would be a difference maker. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like the Ricard Raquel one, I get why a lot of teams would be interested. It doesn't make any sense if you're the ducks uh, with the flat cap. And that's the other, the big news of the week is Gary Bettman came out. You know, there is a TV deal. I guess let's start there. The TV deal ESPN. That's, that's a huge uh, news for the national hockey league to be back on the major sports network in the United States. ESPN is, is still the King. I don't think there's any debate about that. So you want to be on there now there, it's only one game a week. There's going to be some streaming games and other things available, but you know, ESPN will be committed to, I, I think fans who have ESPN will be excited. They'll actually get some hockey highlights on ESPN, which will be nice, but there's, there's still more to come in the, in the TV deal here because that's only one game a week and they're only getting the Stanley Cup for three of the next seven years. So are, are you hearing, Frank, I've, I've heard NBC and I've heard rumblings, even a Fox. What are you hearing about that? Yeah, so I, I am hearing, uh, you know, just to reiterate the point on ESPN, it's four Stanley Cup finals over the next seven years. Now, what's interesting is, and the way that they've positioned this deal, obviously the streaming is such a huge chunk of it for their ESPN plus platform, 
But what I love about it is that they're all in on the playoffs, right? So they get half of all first and second round games. They get to pick as the primary uh, rights holder, which conference final they want. They show that in its entirety. And then they get, like I said, four out of the seven cup finals. So that leaves three of those seven for the next package, plus all the other half of the first and second round games and the other conference final as part of the B team. And then in addition to that, you get some regular season games and you'd get some streaming rights probably as well. So that's where the money part works for the NHL. You know, a lot of people have been focused on this $400 million a year number and they're saying, wow, look at this. The NHL has doubled their rights fee from the NBC deal. And that in, in effect is true. Uh, but the numbers are probably a little bit misleading because this last year of the deal, NBC was paying the NHL $240 million. And then in addition to that, ESPN has already been paying $100 million a year because they own BAMTech, which yeah. is the NHL TV streaming service. So really, it's only a net change in the first year or so of $60 million a year. But what's going to be the big boon for the NHL is whatever they can get from this next partner. So that's what they're in the throes of negotiating. And they're hoping to get it done in the next three to four weeks, uh, maybe even sooner. But I, I think to this point, what I've heard is that things haven't been that close with NBC. Uh, they're changing platforms. They're getting rid of their NBCSN. A lot of games would be shown on USA Network, which is fine. It's actually still available in a lot of homes. But then you mentioned Fox and FS1. They're looking for something for their platform as well. So uh, that would be a fantastic combo, I think, for the NHL to to get Fox and ABC part of ESPN uh, on the network side and then you know have FS1 there as well uh, in addition to ESPN like it'd be a, a match made in heaven so I'm not ready to count out NBC yet but I'm really curious about Fox well I, I think when you look at it the the NFL is on multiple stations and I, I think if there's one mistake that the NHL did in Canada was going with one national broadcaster. I believe that it would be better to be on two. You have different alternatives. Your fans get to have different uh, panels and different play-by-play uh, -play people. I just think it's better overall. Plus you're getting maximum exposure uh, everywhere else. And I think the next time that deal comes up, it's something they'll learn from, that they will want to have a split between the two broadcasters in Canada and Sportsnet and TSN. And I think that's ultimately what's going to happen the next time. I think it'll be better for, for all parties involved. And I think because we're going to see that in the States this time, you're going to have two. And who knows, Frank, what about the wild card? Do you think there's a chance we could see part of it on NBC and some on Fox and on ESPN? Any chance? It's possible. I mean, look, I, I'm not ready or in a position to rule anything out. I, I don't know what exactly they're talking about, but um, you know, you mentioned the mistake that you think the NHL made. I, I think in some ways they were able to get more like networks are willing to pay for exclusivity. Right. And mm -hmm. so when you can get the entire package to yourself, which is what Sportsnet did in Canada, there's value in that. And so that's, you know, sort of why they might've been willing to pay a little extra to get it. And in this case, um, obviously that's not happening in the U S but it's still a significant step forward for the NHL that's, you know, frankly, still not even close to anywhere in line with what the NBA and the NFL and Major League Baseball are getting for their media rights. But it's a step in that right direction for a, t a league that desperately needs revenue and desperately needs it to attract more fans, which 
I think makes this a win-win for the league is, is to get it on the biggest platform in ESPN and also increase your fee where you can. And uh, also today, uh, or sorry, yesterday, not a surprise that, uh, you know, Gary Bettman telling Pierre Lebrun, they're just going to go back to, you know, Seattle goes into the Pacific division, Arizona will go into the central and we'll go back to, to four divisions next season if everything stays the same. But they didn't count out, though, a possible change and maybe a few more rivalry games. I'm curious to see how the schedule will uh, work out because I do know, specifically in Canada, the, uh, the broadcast like, hey, wait a sec, our numbers are through the roof. Now, is that because it's all Canadian games? I think that's part of it. But also, parents don't have sporting events to take their kids to at night, right? Like, I, I think there's more readily available eyes. Mm-hmm. And once people are kind of, as I like to say, once we get kind of let out of the box and be able to socialize again, it's like, yeah, I love sports, but man, I want to see my friends again. And so I think that's something they're going to have to keep in mind because, you know, this might be a, a little bit of a, the numbers are going up for a lot of different reasons, not just because it's all divisional games. Right. And so I think that's part of it. And I can also tell you, firsthand what the networks don't like is part of this divisional schedule while they love that it's all Canadian games all the time they don't love the late starts yeah so if you're Montreal or yeah Montreal on Wednesday night I guess it was they had an 11 p.m eastern start I mean that's really tough to take so you know your numbers are going to be down I think the one thing, Jason, I, and I will say, I think the commissioner alluded to it a little bit. The NHL has sort of been a happy accident that they like some of the experimentation. So what I could see is some more divisional games. You could see some more Canadian rivalry games if scheduled appropriately. But you could also see the fixture of these schedules where you get two games in a row or three games in a row against the same team to cut down on travel. And I think it makes the product better because players are more well-rested. They don't have to jump on an airplane, fly four hours and get there in the dead of the night. They can stay in the city. They like unpacking their bag. And to be fair, I think that they'll have more fun being able to just leave the rink and go get dinner or go do something and not have to worry about traveling right away. Well, here's the other thing, Frank. Think about this. Pittsburgh and Philly play back-to-back nights in Philly, right? The Rangers and the Islanders play back-to-back. You've got fans now in the building for those games with one of your biggest rivals going in there. Fans would be so juiced up to go to that game the next night because if your team wins the first night, you're pumped up. Yeah, let's go back. We're going to crush the Flyers again. They suck. That's what Penguins fans are saying. I think that's the aspect of that we're seeing these back-to-back games and people are loving it on TV, but now magnify that in sold-out rinks. Like we know in Philly, right? We, we know how crazy the fans are there. You, the, you've the got a big Boston up, rivalry. Yeah. The right? It'll be unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, like it'll be unbelievable. And I think that's, that's the one thing that we're probably underestimating is just how much better these back-to-back games to get these little mini series would be in the same city when you have fans in the building. I think it takes it to a whole new level. I think there will be much more animosity and hatred in those games because the fans, players talk about it. The fans build that up. There's a pushing match and all of a sudden there's way more energy in the building. All of a sudden two guys, oh yeah, and they go. And I think you'll see more of that next season. And so I really hope the NHL does that. A, it helps you in travel. It helps in fatigue for the players. It helps on a, you know, simply 
essentially from having less flights. So that's better for the environment. Let's be honest. That's a bonus, but he also saved money. Like to me, I see zero negative in doing that next year at all. I, I hope they have at least 30% of games that are like that. Yeah. I'll just say one caveat. I don't want to see a lot of back-to-backs. I know just because you're in the city, you need a day between because the product is that much worse. You likely don't get your starting goalie for both games. You know, you got to switch it up on the net minders. Like taking as many back-to-backs out as you can, I think is better for everyone. Possibly, but you know that like every year there's 11 or 12 of them, right? Yeah, and that's fine. But like make it a Tuesday, Thursday if you can, and then have your team go on to the next place for Saturday and Monday or whatever it is. But if you can, and if if the arena availability, which dictates everything, look, so many teams in this league share a building with an NBA team. There's concerts, there's all sorts of stuff going on. By the way, concerts, like total aside here, it's going to be bonkers what the concert schedule is going to be like at every arena. And I say that not just for a schedule standpoint, but as a music fan, because all these acts, they used to make their money on CDs, albums, right? Not anymore. It's been all on live tours. And with with no ability to live tour, this is now a full calendar year that they haven't been able to earn money. So 22 and 23 are going to be some of the best years ever on the concert front. And so if you live near an arena, buckle up, like save some money, put some aside because every act that you could possibly think of is coming to your town. Frank, who's the best concert you've ever seen? Ooh, I've seen some good ones. My first ever concert was the Eagles. Um, I saw Tom Petty. That was a really good one. I'm a country music fan, actually. Um, So I like anything country. I've seen Kenny Chesney uh, at a bunch of different places. I've seen Zach Brown at Fenway Park. Uh, I saw Kenny Chesney at the South Carolina Gamecock Stadium in the rain. Uh, the people that opened for him were insane. It was like Zach Brown, Eli Young Band. Um, it was an unbelievable show. Um, best concert I've ever seen. I saw Eric Church. I saw Carrie Underwood at the Grand Ole Opry. Um, man. I've seen some really, really good ones. I would say Zach Brown at Fenway Park. I'm a big Zach Brown fan. All right. I've uh, probably the best concert I've been to as far as a performance go. Lady Gaga Live was, un- I was blown away by how good of a live acapella singer she was. And uh, her backup dancers were some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen. I was howling. Um, Bruno Mars put on an unreal show. But you know who was honestly one of the best concerts I'd seen many years ago was Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart came in. And Rod Stewart, he was, he was probably close to pushing 70. And he crushed it. And the night, and literally two nights earlier, I'd went and seen Kings of Leon. That is still to this day, the worst concert I've ever been. You couldn't pay me to go see those guys again. You know, they claimed one of the guys was sick, whatever. They stood in one, I'm like, dude, I could have just listened to your CD. They had zero stage presence. They just stood there. And then two nights later, I've got Rod Stewart, who's literally a senior citizen at the time. He is kicking soccer balls into the second deck right? He had the ladies in the front row, their panty sprinklers were on high. It was unbelievable. (laughs) It was that Rod Stewart still was one of the, and and he got some great songs, but I was just blown away by now this guy as a performer. It's still one of the more memorable ones I've ever been to. Yeah. You know what? I was just thinking too, I was backstage at a Billy Joel and Elton John concert, a duo. That was really good. Uh, I've seen Elton John multiple times and Billy Joel multiple times. I, 
what's on my bucket list actually is Billy Joel at Madison Square Garden. He had that standing oh, yeah. agreement where he would do that once a month and it sells out every time. I'd like to go do that one time in New York. I'd be pretty sweet. I, got, I was lucky enough to see Prince live and what a guitar. Like, he could sing and everything like that. But man, when that guy was shredding the guitar, I was blown away. Like I, I'm not, a, I wouldn't say I'm a huge Mr. Guitar guy, but that guy was phenomenal. So you're getting me fired up just thinking about it. We got hey, sports coming back and concerts. And one more underrated show that I saw. And I'm like slightly embarrassed to admit this, but my wife really wanted to go Sean Mendez, Canadian mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. And it was, it's not like my type of music, but I thought he was phenomenally talented. Yeah. I honestly didn't really know much about Lady Gaga at the time when I went to see her this many years ago, but I was like, I left that bill and I'm like, I'm a huge fan. So uh, I'd really like to go see the weekend whenever he tours again. That's, that's the one guy on my list I want to see for sure. So now that he, uh, he said that he's boycotting the Grammys too. Good for him. I love it. What a joke that is. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's get to uh, buy or sell. Let's bring in the man, uh, uh, Tyler to uh, come in on buy and sell. Ty, how you doing? I am great. Uh, I'll chime in on the conversation with uh, the young music take Drake. I've seen him twice. It's unbelievable. Every time big Drake fan. I feel so old because I saw Drake at like the 2011 all-star game, NHL oh. all-star game. I think it was Ottawa. If I'm not, no, that was 2012. Uh, I, like, I was like, who is this guy? Like I had like, no, I, like Drake was like still kind of like starting out. And I yeah, feel yeah. so old saying that don't just, can we edit that part out? Sure. sure. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll move on and I'll get to buy and sell and uh, a match made in heaven here because buy and sell is now brought to you by jock MKT jock market. It's a hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market. You trade shares of players in real time with other users. Pricers are driven by user trading activity. It seems like a ton of fun. It's launching in Canada soon. So Gregor, we got to wait, but Frank can get all over it right now. And so can our American listeners. Use the promo code DFO20. It gets you a $20 deposit bonus. And of course, launching in Canada soon. JockMKT.com. Our first question this week on buy and sell. I counted and my counting skills aren't great, but last year, I think there were 32 trades on the deadline. The year before that, there were 23. This year, I'll say we don't even get to 15. I'll start with you, Gregor, buying or selling on that. That's a really good question. So does that include weeks up to it? Or are we just talking no, that like is day of day of deadline? Day, uh, oh, day of. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to buy on that. I, I think it's uh, there's not a lot of cap space for a lot of teams. And I, th I think in some divisions, it's clear who the pretenders are and who the contenders are. So I don't think there's as many. I, I think there's a much bigger gap I've been looking this year. So there's definitely going to be fewer buyers. So I'm saying 50, under 15 for sure. I'm going to take the over. Does that mean I'm selling? You're I selling, think, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know what? Uh, a GM mentioned this to me the other day, and I was trying to process you know, I know what it means, but I'm trying to process in terms of number of trades. He said, you got to remember that rosters expand at 12 noon on that day. So teams can fit a little bit more, um, you know, not cap space wise, but I guess roster wise. So uh, I would think that that might open up a little bit. And plus I, I reported on insider trading on Thursday that Canada and the U S you know, there's that 14 day quarantine that's in place at the border, the U S or excuse me, the NHL and the seven Canadian teams are working behind the scenes. They've been working for months, but they're actually optimistic that they can get an exemption to that 14 day quarantine, which I think would open some things up if they can pull it off. Not certain that they can. 
Yeah, now that now and hearing like down to a week because and it makes sense because those players are getting tested every day. And I understand if they fly, but why would you need 14 days? I think from a common sense approach and, and it's not because I want, hey, I think this benefits. I just think it's common sense. All these athletes are getting tested all the time, whether in the States or in Canada. And if they switch over on a flight or what have you, and then it's only down to seven days or whatever number it is, it does make sense to me because I don't think it's a, a lack of safety on their side. Two things you have to keep in mind. One is that some of those US players might already be vaccinated because there's a number of players that already are. And the second thing is the fact that they are probably flying private anyway. Yeah. Uh, that's part of the deal here is that they go kind of from their team's bubble to the private jet, then land in the new city and then go to the, that team's bubble. So there's no real outside world contact other than, you know, whatever car you use to get to the airport, you know, I'm sure that the proper protocols would be in place. Number two on buy and sell this week. Uh, we got the news about the NHL draft, how it, uh, you know, isn't moving. Some teams aren't thrilled about that. It might make the draft a bit more of a crapshoot this coming year. So because of that, I think teams are going to be more willing to part with first round picks at the deadline. Frank, you buying or selling on that? Selling. I don't think teams are going to be willing to ever really part with first round picks unless they really believe it's for a player that can be a difference maker. And just from the names that I've heard out there, I just don't think there's that many names that are going to be garnering first round picks anyway, this deadline. So I think the average number of first round picks that are traded around the deadline period is about five, according to my data over the last number of years. And I think we're going to be well under that. Well, I'm going to buy on the sense that teams would be willing to do it more. Like if, if you're, if you can do what Tampa Bay did and say, Hey, I'll trade you first round picks. No problem. I'm going to get Barkley Goudreau because we have him under contract. I'm going to get Coleman. If, if, if you're willing to get a player that you can have for more than a rental, I think teams would gladly give away because a, those are going to be late first round picks and B it's going to be later first round picks about in a draft that teams uh, players really haven't got to play many games. Now I said earlier, I still don't think there's going to be 15 trades. So I don't think you're just going to see teams throwing first rounders away willy nilly, but I think with the lack of, of viewings for players this year, combined with if you can get guys on our contract and follow in the, in the footsteps of Tampa Bay, there's lots of teams that would want to do that. Whether or not a team wants to give you up a Coleman, that remains to be seen. Number three on buy and sell Thursday night, we got the news that Jordan Binnington had agreed to a six-year extension that pays him or carries a cap hit, I should say, of $6 million a year. He's only played 102 regular season games in his career. That puts him in the top 10 for cap hits as well amongst goaltenders. I think that's an overpayment. Jason, are you buying or selling on Binnington's contract being an overpayment? I'm going to sell. Oh. I think that uh, Binnington... When you win a Stanley Cup and you're a young goalie, you get a lot of rope. And if you don't have a goalie in the NHL, it is really hard to compete. You, you know what? Had Bennington not showed up in St. Louis coming out of, out of the no, out of the minors, they probably don't win the Stanley Cup that year. So I, I think Bennington's getting paid on what he did. He also, the good news, right? That contract will expire when he's 33. So he's starting that deal at 28. Um, he doesn't have a lot of uh, traction on his pads, if we want to say. So I, I look at the going rate compared to what guys like Price and Bobrovsky and other goalies have gotten uh, future. I think that's actually a pretty fair value for Binnington. I am going to buy. Uh, and it's not so much the cap hit, it's the term. You know, he turns 34 10 days or a week after uh, his contract expires. And it's more just a personal philosophy. If I was running a team, 
I'm not giving any goaltender with very few exceptions. Like there's always exceptions to the rule, giving very few goaltenders anything more than three or four year contracts. And there's just too many that you can name and point to of contracts that have really been disastrous. Like, you know, you could start with Carey Price, but you can go to Martin Jones, Jonathan Quick, uh, go down the list. Um, Sergey Bobrovsky, my God, like it, it's, it's too much. It's a volatile position. It depends so much on the team that's in front of you. And that'd be my, you know, my personal philosophy is just, there's only a certain few guys that you're willing to give that kind of term to. Andre Vasilevsky would be one. Connor Hellebuck would be another. And other than that, uh, I'm going to, you know, push for three years, even if it means I need to pay a little bit more. Number four, he was healthy scratched earlier in the week. And then he scored a goal last night. Jake DeBrusque. I'm saying he will be a Bruin after deadline day. Frank, you buying or selling? He's on your trade bait board. He's on my trade bait board, but I'm buying. I think, um, you know, look, one, I think the Bruins were trying to jumpstart him. Two, and I don't know this for 100% certainty, but my sense is that there was some disagreement there between the Bruins coaching staff and the front office on the decision to scratch Jake DeBrusque. And... The other part of my reasoning is I just don't know that a team is going to step up and be a trade partner that makes sense for Boston. That's going to give them someone that they can plug into their lineup that gives you the production that DeBrusque did and also changes things up enough to the point where you want to pull the trigger. They're not trading DeBrusque for picks. Uh, This is a team that's in that window to win. And that's the reason why I think he's going to be there. If he's going to move, I think it's going to be in the off season. Yeah, I'm buying that all day. Uh, look, look at Boston's top line. Pasternak's young. Marshawn's getting a little bit older. Bergeron's quite a bit older. And DeBrusque is a guy who can score you 20 goals, doesn't get a ton of power play production. I actually thought he would have been a healthy scratch three weeks earlier, right? I thought this was a little bit later based on how he's played. Like him and Krejci, both of them finally got off the snide. Like Jake had one goal coming in to Thursday night. He scored. Krejci scored his first of the season in his 19th game. So, you know, those are guys... That, like this year is such an anomaly for a lot of players for different reasons. I, I think Jake's an emotional player. I think he's a guy who who misses the crowd and misses the fans. And I think Boston's smart enough to recognize that. I know him and Casty have butted heads over to, at, at times in the past, but yeah, I, I say 100% Jake DeBrusque finishes his season in Boston, and I'd be very surprised if he was traded in the offseason. They just it's hard to trade away 20 goal scorers when they're young. Just a heads up, when both of you guys disagree with something I say, I write it down and clip it and save it so I can throw it back in your face if uh, you guys are both <laughs> wrong. Uh, the last one I got here, we're going to come north of the border to the Oilers. We've heard some names connected to Edmonton here now that they've won three in a row and again after be, or losing three to the Toronto Maple Leafs. But I'm not buying the rumors. I don't think Edmonton will make a major move before the deadline. Gregor, you buying or selling? Well, Ken Holland came out uh, on Thursday and, and, and said flat out, he's, he's not acquiring anybody for depth. The owners have tons of depth. He needs a difference maker. What he needs is a left winger to play with Leon Dreisaitl if we assume Nugent Hopkins is going to go back to McDavid because eventually he'll split up the dangerous duo. Like they just, it sounds dumb. I think Tippett put them back just to get their mojo back and it's been working. They've been shredding teams. They look great. They're confident. Uh, Dreisaitl's feeling a lot better physically now. So I look at the orders. If they can find a left winger 
who's a little bit bigger with some size because they got Ennis, they got Cahoon, they got Yamamoto. You can't win with that many small guys in your top six or nine in the playoffs, I don't believe. So I think that's a move that they would look at. The problem is there's not a ton of those guys out there. So he's not going to add like a third liner or something like that. Eric Stahl, I don't think makes a lot of sense in Edmonton, to be honest. So I'm going to, I'm probably going to buy that they won't make a big splash only because I don't see a lot of those type of guys available. I'm going to buy as well. Um, I don't see the difference makers available. And even if they are available, it's dollars in dollars out for the Oilers. Their cap situation's tough. If you'd like to make some surgical improvements on your roster, it's got to be this off season. And it's going to probably have to involve not re-signing Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, you know, I, I just think, you know, you're right. Why nibble around the edges? This team doesn't need the nibble around the edges. They need difference makers. And I, I just, there's no one on that list that I can point to or that I know of that might be available that really makes sense for the Oilers given their needs. The one guy I will say, and I don't know if it's a big splash, they need a second pair left defenseman. And we talked about the start, Frank, earlier, Jamie Alexiak he would be exactly what the Edmonton owners need. I, I know he might not be the biggest name, but he's a big body and he could, he could like uh, William Lagason right now is playing with Adam Larson. I don't think William Lagason has enough experience yet to be a second pair left defenseman in, in my eyes. So, you know, now you could move Russell there if you had to, but I think if they could land Alexiak, I don't know what the cost would be, but that's a name that fits a hole in what Edmonton needs. And he might be able to fit cap wise. Yeah. Or at least certainly has a better chance. Yeah. There you go. That is another edition of Buy or Sell brought to you by Jock Market. Check them out online, jockmkt.com. And remember the promo code DFO20. That gets you a $20 deposit bonus. I love it. And hey, speaking of the uh, the stock, I love the fact that it's combining sports players with the stock market, Frank, because every now and then you get a little bit lucky in the stock market. Uh, uh, G-Tech for all of our uh, people out there. It was one of the greatest ever stock market moves of my life. Granted, I had somebody who uh, who bought it for me. I have a stockbroker guy, but uh, I've never actually had like a significant buy a low stock and see it actually work. So uh, I'm flying high this week, courtesy of G-Tech. Hey, do you, does, does your son play Roblox? Uh, no, what's Roblox? So it's a, a game on, on my son plays on his iPad. Anyway, he's obsessed with it. He plays it all the time. And I, like, I seriously feel so old talking about this. It, it's sort of like a Sims, like kind of build your own world thing, but it's on the iPad and you play with other people and they can, it's sort of like Minecraft as well. And that company went public this week. And my wife was like, she doesn't know anything about the stock market. Like doesn't follow anything, but she's like, Hey, I heard that company is going public. She's like, buy that. That's like crack cocaine for kids. So Roblox, I didn't get in. I'm thinking about it. Started at 45 bucks on their IPO. They were up to 71 last time I checked. So, Hey, maybe a good tip for you. Maybe it becomes Facebook or the next, whatever, Alibaba, something. You should have listened to your wife. You should have got in on Roblox. Yeah. We'll so see. Who, that's what, you know what, you got to just listen to your mom. They know, I honestly, my, my guy's only seven yet. He doesn't, uh, he, he, he doesn't really play on video games yet. Thankfully, other than he loves no, no word of a lie. I, my wife bought me a stand up old arcade game for, uh, mm -hmm. for my birth or for Christmas. And it's got like 5,000 old school games on it. And uh, because NHL is going back on ESPN, it's got NHL 93, NHL 94, all those old school ones. Nice. My son loves it. And I suck at it. 
Like my, literally my seven-year-old can beat me when I'm trying and it pisses me off to no end. So the last few nights when he goes to bed, I've been playing just cause I'm like, I'm sick of this. I got to find out. Cause he knows how to dangle on breakaways and score. And I don't know how to do that. I don't know what he's doing. I'm watching, but I can't do it. So I've been practicing. So that's, that's how you know you have a screw loose competitively is like he's sleeping and you're practicing just so you can beat yourself. Well, yeah, because well, I there's I something wrong said, hey, with when that. you score, you gotta, you gotta celebrate every time you score because yeah. you gotta have fun. And so now he's taking the celebrations a bit too far. So I've got to, got to bring him back down to earth. That just means there's something wrong with you. <laughs> well frank uh great episode uh, i'm looking forward to seeing uh what comes about uh, as we get closer to uh trade deadline and uh feel free to uh download all the pods we thanks everybody for listening uh, we got some questions we'll get to more of those in the future so thanks for listening to episode 10 of the dfo rundown have a good weekend frank keep practicing <laughs> thanks for listening to the dfo rundown with Cervali and gregor keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from to never miss an episode mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.